Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 97 of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson. We have four segments for you this week. Uh, kicking the show off, myself, Justin, and Neil talk about the two big Nintendo releases this week, Pikmin 3 and Mario & Luigi Dream Team. After that, we have our second segment about the Tropes vs. Women series. Uh, that's with Carmine, Josh, Dave, and Julia. Following that, we have our first ever This Week in Nintendo segment with myself and Neil. And closing out the show, we have uh, Don's interview with the CEO of Image and Form, who just released SteamWorld Dig this week. Enjoy. Hey, and welcome to, I guess, kind of these new Nintendo games that we're going to talk about. First, I want to talk about Mario & Luigi Dream Team, and then we're going to talk about Pikmin 3 um, with Justin Baker. Hello. And Scott Thompson. Hello. So I wanted to kick this off a little bit and kind of do a little bit of a rant on Mario & Luigi Dream Team, which (laughs) sounds kind of preposterous, as we were just discussing before we started recording, that I gave it an 8, and I'm kind of like very... I have this bad taste in my mouth regarding that game, which seems kind of counterintuitive, but it's just (laughs) like, I mean, it's still a very quality game. There's just certain things about it that kind of like break it apart. Like the, the never shuts the fuck up (laughs) and it just feels like it's Bowser's inside story. Part two, not even 2.0, just part two, because it doesn't really evolve much. It kind of just like, it's as if Bowser's Inside Story had like this secret second quest that for some reason displayed in 3D and used a gyroscope yeah, instead of the, the microphone. The Final Fantasy IV after years of Mario and Luigi. I mean, that's a that's a little harsh, but yeah, I mean, similar. <laughs> well, because I, I was reading the review and like I was just telling you, I, I was real excited about Dream Team because I've never done any of the Mario and Luigi games. And so I was like, all right, this is my one. I'm going to jump on, and it's going to be great. And then I read the review, and I was like, oh, well, it just this is just a gigantic recommendation for the superior yeah. previous title. Yeah, and that's the thing. is like, it's um, I recall reviewing a Super Monkey Ball game on 3DS that came out at launch. And I played that game, and it was dog shit. And I was like, <laughs> did, did my taste just change? Does Monkey Ball suck now? And I went back and played the GameCube game. I'm like, no, this is still great. And that's kind of what I felt like when I was playing Dream Team. And I went back and played a little bit of Bowser's Inside Story. Is that there's a lot... It's it, Like, the whole game's a lot snappier. And Bowser's Inside Story still has some pacing issues. Don't get me wrong. It's I mean, I, I think if I were to review Bowser's Inside Story, it would probably get a 9 uh, somewhere around that ballpark. Like, I don't think... I, it's definitely not a game to me that is a 10. Although I could see an argument for that from other people. <laughs> depending on your opinion. I mean, it's, but, it's, it seems like one of those things where if you've played Bowser's Inside Story and you're chomping at the bit for more of that, then, yeah, yeah Dream Team sounds cool. But someone like me who's never played any of them, in, Bowser's Inside Story still sounds like the go-to one. If you if you only play one, that's the one to go to. Yeah, and it wasn't even until like seeing what other people were saying about the game that I did kind of realize about just how much the game never lets you explore because there were a couple parts where I actually kind of was just like, Oh, I can go get this thing here. And the game kind of didn't really let me do that. But then I would come back there later in the story. You almost do like two laps through everything in the game. And, and then the game's fucking like 30 plus hours long, which for a Mario and Luigi game is super, super long because all the other ones, I think probably a leisurely playthrough is still 20 hours or so at best. 
out, out of curiosity, um, if someone just really didn't want to go back to Bowser's Inside Story, whether they just don't want to go back to an old DS game or, or what have you, and they haven't played it, would this game, would, would they feel better about this game than you do just because it seems more unique and fresh to them? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Even, even if like, even if you've kind of fallen off the wagon, like maybe you played Superstar Saga, and you kind of are just like, well, you know, Bowser's Inside Story, Dream Team, it's a toss-up. I don't really want to play a DS game and save 20 bucks and play the superior game. Yeah. I can just play this 3DS game and download it on my 3DS. Like, right. if you do that, like, it, that, that, I mean, that's the thing. That's why I'm really down on Dream Team, but it's still a very good game. It's just that it's like the kind of thing where, like, I know there's a better game in this very series that still holds up pretty fucking well. Yeah. That like there's there's nothing there's nothing broken about Dream Team. It just drags. It's like it's like a sequel to a really good movie that isn't bad, doesn't necessarily do anything wrong, but just doesn't. Yeah, okay. So it's like it's like um, Die Hard Two. Yeah. Die Hard Two is fine, but it just kind of repeats what the first one did, and it isn't really remarkable in any way. But then Die my Hard Three is awesome. my personal stance on you know like uh, Iron Man Two is that Iron yeah. Man Two just kind of gave you more of the same of the first yeah. Iron Man, but it wasn't fresh. There you go. And it falls apart in the second half, but, I mean, and I guess the same thing happens at Dream Team, so, yeah, that does work. Because <laughs> that's, that's where I am. I, I, I played Superstar Saga, and that's the only one I've played. Um, so, like, I'm still on the fence about, about yeah. this one. But I don't think I'll go back to Inside Story. Um, yeah. I mean, like, that's that's the thing. Dream Team is still a quality game. It's just that I think Bowser's Inside Story is better. It's been a long time since I played Superstar Saga. I feel like that might not hold up as well as I think it would. But I think I would sooner... Okay, granted, I just played Dream Team, so this is kind of a bullshit answer. <laughs> um, but I think I'd sooner go back and play Superstar Saga in like a couple years and then ever play Dream Team again. Wow. Like, this is a game, if I if I didn't have the review copy being downloadable, I'd be selling the fucking shit out of it right now. <laughs> and I didn't think I'd ever do that with a Paper Mario or Mario & Luigi game, but then I did it with uh, Sticker Star last year. Uh, Sticker Star was garbage. Uh, but yeah, okay. On the disappointment <laughs> scale, uh, Kulafi actually asked me that on Twitter. I would say that no, no, this does not compare to Sticker Star at all. Okay, because Sticker, Sticker Star, I mean, that game was just straight up garbage. I, I wanted yeah. to call someone and get my money back after that one. Yeah, I was all excited. Like, I went out to a Target. Um, was it the. I think it was the morning. No, no, no. I think it was. Yeah, it was the morning of my sister's fucking wedding, I think. <laughs> I went out to a Target and I bought Sticker Star. That's how excited I was. Or it was the day after or something. I don't know. Um, but I was very excited to play that game and I really enjoyed like the first like few hours of it and then got to a point where I'm like, oh shit, that's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think I played it for a couple hours and then realized that there, nothing new was going to happen after that point and it was a lot longer and I was like, oh, well, well, I played, I played two levels with a, with an FAQ up and Mm -hmm. I realized that this isn't fun and then I, I turned off the game and never played it again. Yep. Yeah. Not a fun but game. let's let's get to something that at least thus far, and I definitely played the least out of everyone because I was kind of in the march to finishing Dream Team. Um, Pikmin three, which came out last week um, on August fourth in North America, it's been out everywhere else for like three years, I think. Um, I know. <laughs> I, I think right. I think Super Mario three D World's coming out in Europe tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> we we've, we've still got a four month wait for that one. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, Pikmin 3 is, is fucking gorgeous. You know, as, as a side note, before we really jump into Pikmin, I, I kind of want to just make a note about that. We got an, an email from Nintendo because we put up Don's review of Pikmin 3, um, like, before the European embargo, but he had played the Japanese version. Yeah. And, like, really, if you're going to complain about 
breaking embargoes based on region. Just release everything at the same goddamn time. <laughs> Plus, it, it yeah, seems seriously. like a, de- a detriment because, like, all these Pikmin 3 reviews came out, like, what, two or three weeks ago now, and then the game releases, and you've kind of, like, lost that, that yeah. buzz. You know, like, if you released it all at once in every region, you had all the reviews go up, like, two days before the game launches, then, you, then you're writing well, that Well, I think that buzz. a lot of that happened... Uh, a lot of that, as far as I can tell, um, if you've noticed, I don't think Nintendo's released any game worth shit in July for like the past four years. Like I think Mario Strikers, Mario Strikers charge might've been the last July release they've had. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure, but I I don't think I'm too far off. Um, if there's anything, I don't think it was too notable. Um, for some reason, I think Nintendo of America, like their, their research or what they expect is that releasing something in July is, is dumb, which I think it just, I mean, I kind of disagree because I think there is that summer vacation culture, but maybe, I mean, they probably have more, more numbers than we do. Well, it mm. might have been a bad idea in like the n- mid '90s, but <laughs> times have changed. I mean, come yeah. on. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, we're, we're looking at that now, and we're kind of, I guess, bleeding into other discussions now. But <laughs> for Nintendo in North America, like you've got the major Wii U game and the major 3DS game. You know, in like the, I guess the last major release was Game and Wario and Animal Crossing. Mm-hmm. And you have these two games, and then you basically have one game for two months. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's like, it, it's an odd, like, I feel like you you might be in a better position to kind of spread out Pikmin 3 and Mario and Luigi. Which I don't even think Europe really did, it's just that they had that come out in July. Um, oddly enough, switched where Mario and Luigi, I think, came out a week before, and Pikmin came out about a week later. Well, yeah. plus at the same time, if you play Pikmin, well, I guess we should establish, how many hours in are each of you? Um, I'm, I, I've played two days, so I'm barely, oh, okay. okay. so you're like, <laughs> you're like 20 minutes I, in. I, I really wanted to play more of it, but I just haven't had the chance. Work okay. has been hell. I'm probably, God, what am I? I'm like at day 13 or 14, maybe? Um, well, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Um, I, uh, finished the game in just under 30 days and I was playing pretty leisurely i mean i wasn't trying to speed through it but i also wasn't 100 percenting anything so really i kind of feel like most people are going to finish it before dream team even comes out probably <laughs> how, how many hours did you put into it i was uh just over like 11 hours in like 15 minutes i don't know see my thing is i i think that's a good length and i i mean especially coming after dream team yeah i mean i, it, I, I feel like it was a good length but for 60 dollars man yeah I mean, this is a full price game, and I beat it in ten hours. And it, it the end. I mean, I don't want to say anything about the ending, and we'll talk more about it. But it just, I wanted to spend more time in the game, and ended, and I was like, oh, okay, I'll go do something else now, I guess. Well, to me, that that's like the whole the game as a whole. I mean, even individual days, I'm like enjoying myself, and then it's like all of a yeah. sudden I have to artificially the, end it. I hate the time crunch so much. Yeah. That's one thing that. I mean, I, I've I've been back and forth on even buying it, and then I finally caved. And I'm glad I did because the little bit that I played, I'm blown away. Like, mm. it's like okay, it, it's you know an evolution of the series. Um, yeah, you know, it might not be something groundbreaking and new, but it's just like, hey, you remember that formula from Pikmin one and two? Yeah, we refined it, and it's yeah, real it's nice. A, it's a great Pikmin game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing; it doesn't really bring anything too new to the table. Yeah, I but. mean that that like I thought the whole game was great, but like 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 Scott was saying, I mean I I want to spend more time in the game. Like, give me more of this game. It's great. I want more. Well, have you have you played 
the the mission modes and stuff like that the chal- or the challenge modes here's the thing about the missions um i've done the um collecting fruit ones and um i've i didn't do the boss ones cuz i've already fought all those bosses and honestly the bosses about half of them are really were really frustrating to me and the other half were all right yeah and then um the i haven't done the other ones but even then unless it unlocks more that's only like 15 missions you know which is cool like i played some multiplayer with them but it's just not a boatload of content, you know? I mean, it feels like a great platform to add on some DLCs and mission packs and, and stuff like that. I think but they're doing that, right? Th- well, there was a... That... Yeah, Miyamoto kind of talked about it a little bit in a roundabout way. He was probably just like, you know, we'll probably do DLC for Pikmin at the same time we make a new F-Zero game. And then he yeah, pulled out his go. dick and dropped it on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I feel too like that that's hurt by the fact that I don't know how much at least with the story mode you you really want to replay it. Like in the beginning, it's very it's so damn it's slow, very slow. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of like what you're saying with Mario and Luigi here. You know, it's very guided in those those first handful of days. Um, and I can't see wanting to like I enjoyed it the first time through. Don't get me wrong, but I I can't see wanting to go back to that. Is um, there a way to, that we know of that you can like skip those story segments if you were to replay it? I feel like there there um, might be. I haven't gone back. I mean, what I'm planning on doing is starting again on my last day and just going and doing other areas so I've already finished okay. all the story. Because, I mean, you have sort of a, you know, you, you've got the day right before you finish, so you can keep playing there. Yeah. And just I mean, I think that's probably what I would do and go from 100%. Yeah. I mean, I guess my thing, and this is probably just different different stances on what we expect in the length of a game, because I even I, I always get shit for this whenever I complain about it, um, and I did on Twitter. Thanks uh, that the guys who gave me shit for it. <laughs> uh, but I made a comment about how I'd rather play like a real polished like five to ten hour experience than oh, a drawn yeah. out thirty hour one. And I truly believe that. And it has nothing to do with the way I died, like you know, jumping from game to game to cover it for Nintendo World Report or anything. It's just personal preference. I unless this game is like the second coming of Christ, I like, you know, whether it's Animal Crossing or Fire Emblem, which are games that I put a shit ton of time into, like I don't want to spend thirty hours with every game and I I like finishing games and that's why the idea that I mean, Justin, you say that oh, it took you about like, you know, eleven hours to beat Pikmin three, to me I'm like, Alright, awesome, that sounds great. Aim, aim for between like ten and fifteen hours and finishing that game. Maybe I'll go from one hundred percent. Maybe I won't. But that sounds like a great length for a game. Yeah, that actually works really well for me because I'm I'm not playing it on my own. I'm I'm playing it with my wife. We're playing it together. And so like to find thirty hours where we could dedicate to a game it isn't really going to happen. But like ten to fifteen is really that sweet spot where we can over the next couple of weeks play like an hour every night and then, and then be done with it. Not I, not like we're going to rush through it, but just finish it, which will be nice, rather than like getting halfway through and then not going back to it or something. Yeah, I feel like I mean I'm definitely in the same way. Like I've been enjoying shorter games as of late, but I think I I enjoy whenever a game says, um, "All right, well here's the main game in this short ten to fifteen hour segment," and then you beat that and it goes, "Oh, here's extra missions or here's something to do." I mean, the extra content is like, "Oh, well here's fifteen missions that you're going to beat in." less than an afternoon yeah and then yeah. now go now go play more of the story again and it's like well you know I, I feel like for as long as i've waited for pikmin 3 and as long as they've hyped it and they're like this is Nine it this fucking is... years man that's how long it's been <laughs> since pikmin 2 and they're like this is it this is the wii u game it's gonna sell you on a wii u you know and and i just feel like there's not enough content and it would have been so easy to just add in a few extra areas or i mean heck the missions are so small and or short an online that... multiplayer yeah, well, I mean, 
But yeah, even, bingo battle online would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, like at first. At first, I'm like, well, you know, like I still, I think there should have been parts of Nintendo Land that should have been online, like leaderboards and shit. But like a lot of those Nintendo Land games in multiplayer wouldn't work. No, they wouldn't be fun online. Yeah, I mean, and like that, that, that I understand. With why Pikmin Three is not online, like that doesn't make any fucking sense. No. Like the more that I see of that online multiplayer or the the local multiplayer, and I I have Lauren with a loose commitment to play some bingo battle with me at some point. <laughs> is that like that's the kind of thing that like if we could just have the fucking gamepad, the the microphone on the gamepad, and work on it together, be like, oh dude, I'm going over here to get this, and you're like, all right, cool, I'm gonna go over here with the other yeah. guy. Even three player, three player co op, like that'd be fucking crazy. Well, and in my situation, especially, like, I'll, I'll beat the story mode and then I'll do all the, um, cooperative challenges, but I probably won't get much out of Bingo Battle, cause my wife won't want to play competitively. Yeah. Um, cause, you know, it's just not as fun for us. We do, you know, it's not like when you're just trying to fuck around with your friends, you know, yeah. we're not gonna have that competitive edge. Yeah, I don't know how long it'll last. Yeah, so I'd like to have that opportunity to play with other people, but if, yep. with no online, that's just not gonna happen. We'll just have um, to wait until PAX East. Yeah, oh, man, that's true. That'll be awesome. <laughs> Um, how use a random bingo battle. Take what, a shot. Uh, what uh, what control scheme do you guys use? Um, I, I go Wii Remote and Nunchuck, and I have the gamepad sitting in my lap. I was on gamepad, and I, we talked about this the last time I was on the show. And I talked about how much I dislike Nunchuck and Wiimote, and yep. I'm a I'm a controller guy all the way. And for the last level, I did use the um, Nunchuck and Wiimote. And wasn't it so much better? Um, it was more accurate, but I just don't, I don't like the nunchuck Wii remote combo. I don't know what it is. I think it's how I sit on the couch and the fact that I have to <laughs> point it at the screen. Like, I'm always, like, laid sideways on the couch like some kind of human slug. So, <laughs> it's always this kind yeah. of weird maneuvering. So I, I, it, I loved, uh, I think it was <laughs> old ancient-ass episode of RFN. Around Super Mario Galaxy time, I believe it was Evan Birchfield made a comment about how he played the game, where he has like his 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 hands with a Wii remote and the nunchuck like behind his head, pointing <laughs> downward as he's playing the game. I believe I might be mis misremembering that a, a little bit because it's like sixty years ago, but I just distinctly remember that and like having that moment where I'm just like, yeah, I played games like that on Wii, <laughs> where like they, they want you to point at the screen and you're like, oh man, fuck you, like my hands are back here, they're not moving. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it comes from I'm very tall. Like I'm I'm over six foot, so sitting on normal sized furniture that's for human beings <laughs> is never comfortable, so I always have to like lay weird or sideways or slump <laughs> down. So maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Just yeah, I mean, like... No, go ahead, Neil. Um no, I mean for me, I I'm I'm also six foot six foot plus, if you will. Well how um, do you do it? I mean I can't stand the like sitting there with my, you know, my feet planted firmly on the ground and my little nunchuck and my Wii remote, I've got to be, like, thrown sideways like a throw rug. See, the funny thing is I just, like, kind of sit back, especially with this game, I kind of sit back because you don't need to be super anal about where you're pointing on the, in the well, if you're using a Wii Motion Plus, at least. I you don't see. need to be super anal about pointing directly on the screen. Um, it works kind of like Skyward Sword did, where, like, you just kind of need to, like, point in an area and then it will usually be gentle about where it calibrates you. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, I'll usually sit back, and I just have, like, my, my knees kind of raised a little bit so I can glance down at the uh, the map 
which that is definitely not ideal. I I, no. I might get I, I did sit on the floor and play for a little bit so I could have the gamepad in front of me, but that's what I still haven't quite figured out. But that's also an asinine thing where you need to have the gamepad and a Wii Remote and an Unshock, and how do you go between the two? And I like it. I think it offers a lot of cool possibilities for like looking to see what's around there. But mm-hmm. there's also the part of me like this probably would have been better if I just like hit the plus button and the map came up. Yeah, uh, I mean it. I, I tried to set it where I had like. The little stand, not the charging cradle, but the stand that comes with the the Wii U yeah. to hold the pad up, and then I'd sit back on the couch. But then I was too far away, and I just I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't get comfortable. Maybe I just need a new couch. Yeah, I think just is what I'm getting couch. at here. Yeah, just screw it all. <laughs> and then you'll be like fucking Pikmin three was sixty dollars and the price of a new couch. It was only ten hours. Thanks, Nintendo. God. <laughs> Well, I, uh, my wife and I have kind of turned the, the single player into a, a cooperative experience. Where I like us... how I like how before it wasn't your girlfriend, it was Tabby, and now it's just your wife. Yeah, well, that's the <laughs> title, so that's what it's going to be. Um, well, like, I, when I'm talking out loud, I, I say wife, but when I, like, tweet, I always say Tabby. I don't know why. Um, but um, I tweeted this today, actually. But we kind of turned it into a cooperative experience where each day we just alternate between one person, you know, controlling everything and then the other uh, manning the gamepad and, and sort of observing the map, finding things and, uh, you know, spotting fruit and that kind of stuff. And that's been fun. It's been a good way to um, to kind of get both of us involved and, and make sure we don't miss something. Because when I'm playing by myself, I definitely, like, don't look down at the map enough and I, I miss fruit and stuff that I should be seeing. Um, so it, it's been fun to play that way. I've really enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, I'm super excited for the weekend when I can just play the shit out of this game. <laughs> Well, and that's, that's the thing, too. I think we've nitpicked a lot. So I kind of want to, if, if, just for a minute, because I, I know, Neil, you, you need to get going. But just if we could talk a little bit about some of the positives. Because I well, think we came at this, like, just wanting to nitpick. Because it is a, a good game. Um, yeah. Right off the bat, I want to say I love the, the intro when you have the, the three uh, pilots falling to the to the planet. Yeah. And it says Pikmin. Shit looks epic. I mean, I was I loved that. Just that, that shot of when the, the title appears. I really like the way that the, the game, I mean, it does take a while. And it is very wordy. And it kind of, like, teaches you things to twice but i do love the opening just because it is kind of cinematic because you mm-hmm. you start off as one captain and then he gets attacked by something and then you you jump to the next and then you find out that the other one's in trouble and you have to go save her and then that's as far as i got so happens <laughs> after that um but i i mean i just I i haven't depicted this shit i just like to point that out i mean i've really <laughs> enjoyed what i've played so far and i can't wait to dive in yeah. Well, my my biggest nitpick is I want more, which is hardly even. You know what I mean? It's like it's so great. I need more of it. You know. I really hope they do DLC for this. I mean, even if it's in the form of just like some more missions, but I think they could right. do some really crazy shit with that. Yeah, I don't buy much DLC, but I, I would definitely buy DLC for this game. Um, I like too. You know, you talked about the the captains and, and finding the captains. I like too that it's it's built into the story, sort of reuniting the captains, but it also sort of. I don't know, it kind of like gradually teaches you how to use each of them and, and you see how puzzles become more complicated when you have to, you know, split between the three and, you know, split into three smaller parties to, to solve bigger puzzles. It's very cool. I think it works really well in how they introduce the captains, um, just because it does kind of give you like, okay, this is what you do with just one guy. And I mean, even if you're familiar with Pikmin games, it's nice to get that little refresher, see how it controls on Wii U. And then it introduces the second one and then it introduces the third one. Um, and it just, I mean, I would assume that, that things get more hectic and you have different guys going to different places and that just seems really fun. Um, and it seems like it's very manageable and in, in how everything's presented. And that's why the gamepad does help out in that end because mm-hmm. 
you can just, you know, go down there and once you touch the screen, it pauses and you could move around the map anywhere you want and direct a guy to go somewhere. It's also real forgiving in the sense that if you're not going to, like, I, for the most part, kept my guys all in one big blob and then every now and then I might do two parties and really rarely I would do three parties, but they don't they don't railroad you into you have to play three parties all the time to yep. get anything done or be efficient. I mean, you can kind of play it like old school Pikmin and uh, just whenever you hit those puzzles, which is what I did. Yeah. But I don't know. My favorite thing in the whole game was, and this has been my favorite thing of Pikmin overall, is it's the world and the ambiance and especially the music in this one. The music is awesome. And it's all just so damn cute. And it I is. love it. It's yeah, so it's I'm adorable. The, the whole Except time for I'm the just noises. Like, Some of the noises of the captain speaking. Yeah. The way when they're talking annoying. I'm upset, but when Pikmin are out there, I'm just like, no. It's giving Lord nightmares. Like it's <laughs> not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, the voices are kinda weird. Yeah, it's it's kinda strange. It reminds there me of a lot of whistles. I think I think I saw Jeff Gersman tweet about how um um blah blah blah. He tweeted about how it would be nice if there was different, like, funny noises that you could put as the whistle noise. Mm. And, I, and I agree. Make that DLC. Just like a fart sound or like a Mario coin. <laughs> I love the whistle in Pikmin because it's one of those things that if you're playing it, you will never get annoyed by it. But if yeah. you're anywhere within earshot, you're immediately yep. frustrated that someone is doing this to That's you. That's why Lauren, Lauren then turned down the volume after the <laughs> third, like, meh, meh. I was also incredibly impressed with the fact that you could just at any time, at any point during the game, hit the minus button and put it just on the gamepad. Yeah. To the point that I was sitting there during cutscenes flipping it back and forth really fast. (laughs) (laughs) I was so, like, every Wii U game needs to do that and be that seamless with it, period. All right, well, I think think that's going to wrap us up for this segment. We will likely revisit Pikmin... In greater detail, likely with uh, Andy Gergen when he's uh, not on the road, because I know that he gave that shit a 9.5. He loved the hell out of it. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed our, our little bit about it. And if you have any questions about this or any other upcoming games, you know, all, all two of them that we know about right now. now. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, any questions about this or Mario and Luigi Dream Team, uh, write them in to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. We would love to answer them. And we know that we've gotten some emails and questions And we will probably handle them soon. So send in more, and it'll be an even better segment. There you go. Thanks. Bye. 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 Welcome to this connectivity segment, part two of where we tackle media critic Anita Sarkeesian's Tropes vs. Women in Video Games video series, and all the topics surrounding that. Our staff panel today consists of Josh. How's it going, everybody? Dave. Hello. Julia. Hello. And I'm Carmine, your host. So... I think we should start out by acknowledging how thorny this topic is. I mean, in fact, right before this, guys, you remember we had uh, an argument going off in our staff chat room. <laughs> yeah, a little one, little one. <laughs> yeah, a little one that went 
on for like 30 minutes. And I, I do have, I do agree. I mean, I remember the first time I watched the first video in this Tropes vs. Uh, Women's, Tropes vs. Women in Video Game series. My brother and I, we actually, I had to stop it partway through. Because then my brother and I had to get into like this, this like heated discussion over, over like how, where, how we reacted emotionally to it. And, um, I mean, just to give some background to people who, uh, haven't heard of this, Tropes First Women in Video Games, it started out as a Kickstarter last year where, um, people donated money to see this video get, series get made and it was very successful. And, uh, now, uh, the video series covers, uh, is a review of video games and how women are represented there, and specifically tropes, meaning these patterns and plot devices that seem to get used and used and reused, and just an examination of that. So uh, early on, I think we're talking about the damsels in distress trope. And um, I don't know. There wasn't as much uh, Nintendo games in this second one, which I think was... The first one was very historical, but uh, it was a little harder for me to watch as a Nintendo fan. The second one... I was I was less on the defensive, I have to admit. Well, yeah, I mean, this one had, like... I mean, it had Pandora's Tower in it, which, I mean, you know, Nintendo. But the second one, I think it focused more on, like... You know, it had, like, Time Splitters. It had, like, uh, Kingdom Hearts. It had, I think, even had, like, a Crash Bandicoot thing in there. But it was, you know, more cross-platform. It wasn't... Because it was more modern. It, you know, a lot of games are cross-platform. It's not just Nintendo who's doing these things anymore. It's everyone. Everyone across the board is doing everything. Yeah, I, I think maybe one of the reasons why this one was a little harder to watch is because it is it was talking about contemporary games um, and making the important point that a lot of these issues aren't really going away. This isn't a thing of the past, and it's something that you know we should be mindful of going forward is, you know, how... Um, is this medium that we like to think of as an art form? You know, how is it maturing? How is it growing? Or is it maturing or growing? So, well, hey, hey, hey! Not everyone likes to think of this as an art form. Well, that's true, and but I think the fact that uh, is that it is. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you can try to um, keep something that that is a creative work from you know, becoming an art form as it matures, right? It happens to everything. It happened with movies. It happened with television. Um, I think it'll happen with games, too. Well, I mean, I'm not going to argue with you because, you know, I, I do agree with you. I mean, I'm just kind of, for, for a hot second, if I can still say that phrase without being criticized, uh, taking the devil's advocate, being a devil's advocate, just because, you know, some people still don't consider it an art form. That's why they don't see this whole thing as even a threat. Which is, you know, or not threat, but, you know, whatever we want to call it. Um, I don't know. It's... Well, I think, I think uh, you mentioned something in the email that we had leading up to this discussion, Dave, where the, we did have these, like, two different camps maybe that reacted to this in different ways, where one camp said, we don't need, you know, someone coming in and nitpicking everything because th this is entertainment, you know. It's just games. It's supposed to be harmless fun. No one should take it seriously. And then there's another camp that really wants, like, uh, a really hard look at this sort of thing. And uh, I think you asked, uh, you know, um, how do those, are those two viewpoints from different groups of people? I mean, I guess I would say yes. I, I don't necessarily agree there. So if you look at movies, I would, you know, 
I'm, I'm sure I'm going to draw lots of gunfire for this comment, but, you know, take the, the genre of, like, chick flicks. You know, you can say that, okay, you know, maybe this in some way objectifies women and relationships. And then I, I could, so I, I might fall into that category. But at the same time, I found a, I found her reviews on on her, just her, her general commentary, just right on, even even loving Nintendo games as I do. You're talking about Sarkeesian now? Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, the, the question is when people are responding to this sort of critique, is it... You know, so and, and you have one point of view that's like, well, these are video games. These should, it's it's fun. It's it's a pastime. It should sort of be immune from this critique. And then, separately from that, you have people saying, um, you know, video games are are an art form, right? So Roger Ebert, uh, a while ago, made the statement that um, video games are not an art form. It can't be an art form, and people took offense to that. Well, I mean, yeah, and I'm gonna go back to the, the whether or not we can you know criticize it or, or whether or not you know we need we just need to enjoy it but i'm gonna take that ever popular middle ground and <laughs> yeah well i'm gonna i i think that we should like yes sometimes games like the deadpool game is just a dumb game that they're they they're like there's objectification in there it's just a dumb shoot 'em up game there are games like that and there's also like games that are pieces of art um you know, depending on who you talk to, it could go, you know, Super Mario 64 could be a piece of art, or even the first Crash Bandicoot, Jack and Daxter, Last of Us, if we're going, like, over to PS3, um, or Sony. But I think that, I think that we should all realize that when a game is not, like, when it is just stupid, senseless, whatever, just, you know, ignore it, don't, don't treat it like it's something it's not, but when a game is trying to be something more, and we're enjoying it, we should also be able to, at the same time, take a step back and realize what it's doing, what it's saying. Uh, because, you know, we can't, I don't, I don't think that all video games are trying to be art, though. Because sometimes, just like how all, all, all paintings are not, you know, can, the same type of art. Sometimes they want to provoke and sometimes they're just silly and they're to be enjoyed. But I think that as a whole, the medium just needs to Every, everyone who wants to be able to at least dis, discuss this in a reasonable may, way needs to be able to take a step back after enjoying the game or even while they're enjoying the game and see and just be able to, to have a adult discussion. I don't know. I think it's a bad phrasing, but I think that, that having a little bit of both doesn't help. It doesn't hurt. It does yeah, help. Maybe- Maybe um I, I agree with you. I mean we maybe it's it's wrong to like look at this as an either or. I mean I want to have both Bridget jo- like going back to the movie analogy, which I think is pretty telling. I want to have both Bridget Jones's diary in my collection as well as a foreign film that won an Academy Award like you know, like Nowhere in Africa. And they really do fill different gaps. And I mean even in one person you can watch both things. But what do you guys make of, like, um, I mean, Sarkeesian says this, you can enjoy uh, these games, but at the same time, you can also know that, you know, uh, it's it's really overusing this trope, or maybe it's, it's uh, having this effect on our culture. I mean, do you think that, how, how, is, how, is, how socially responsible do you think video games have to start getting these days? I mean, uh, I mean, I think Nintendo, in a way, sort of, is less featured in this second uh, video because Nintendo doesn't take a stance. You know, they don't really go into plots, so they just stick to the archetypes and they don't really take the 
fall into the uh, try to do the things that a lot of modern games do when they're trying to kill off their female characters. I mean, I think it's worth asking what are the archetype, what are the archetypes that they're sticking to, right? And you know, some of them are prob- some of those archetypes are, are problematic. Um, and, and like you know, the the concept of the damsel that that's the character archetype. Um, and I don't even think that Sarkeesian suggests that that is an archetype that should be completely eliminated from media just that we should be mindful of its use and not consistently fall back on that because what it does is it creates, you know, certain expectations about portrayals of women that sort of bleed over just into the cultural expectations of of women. So, um, I think that, I think that's very well said. And I would, I would add that, you know, I would say in many of the cases, particularly the ones that she points out is that it's not really necessary, I think, to advance the story you know, there can be many other motivating factors that can be used that are, are much more constructive, I think. But, I, I mean, I, I agree with you guys. I'm not about to fight that. I agree that it's, there's no, you know, we shouldn't abolish it altogether. I also agree that it's, maybe we are overusing it a little. But I also ask that, like, with with games like, you know, the Mario series, where they're not known for their story, they're known for their gameplay, like, should we start expecting more out of them than, than Princess Peach being captured? Or, you know, I mean, when a new game comes along, it claims to be, like, the next great game. And they don't always have, like, you know, a damsel in distress. Or, you know, they, they do, they have really creative plot devices, things you never see coming. That's what helps make them a great game. And, uh, but, you know, sometimes they're going to have a, a damsel in distress. So should we hold Nintendo specifically, since, you know, it's what we're here to talk about, should we hold Nintendo like their classic games to the same standards that we're holding every other game, or are we going to let that slide? Because, you know, that's, they're, they're not coming out and saying that they want to, they're not here to, to make you think in a different way. Yes. Yeah, so, gameplay. So, so if I could just res- respond to that. Um, I, so I think a lot of people often misinterpret the purpose of feminist critique or, or any kind of, of critique in that regard. Right. I don't think that Sarkeesian wants Nintendo to stop having Mario rescue princess peach. Right. I think that the idea is if we can have a better understanding of why there's these archetypes and why they're used the way they are, you know, perhaps this will allow for uh, more creativity in general, you know, not making specific prescriptions for how to construct stories, but to say, hey, you guys are falling back consistently on the same old, tired, you know, sexist representation of, of women, right? So, yeah, I don't think we should say, Nintendo, you know, <laughs> you guys need to make your, your storylines differently. But, boy, you know, it'd be great if Metroid Other M never came out with that plot. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I don't think and, anyone here is going to argue with you. Right, and that's the perfect case where if they would have just been more mindful when they were writing that story and doing the presentation and everything, I think that that could have been avoided. I've actually heard someone defend the Metroid other M plot and say that, you know, it's unfortunate that the reaction was that way because it really wasn't intended to be read that way. Well, that's never really... You know, I don't think... Once the audience gets a hold of it, it is what it is. Yeah, especially in this day and age. You know, and I think even Sarkeesian would argue, I don't, you know, it's not that 
these developers and writers set out to be sexist. Okay. They don't set out to disempower women. It's just that it's a habit that's, uh, that does reinforce these kind of disempowering attitudes that's used out of comfort and laziness. <laughs> and I think that like a, a major difference I saw in her, I guess her, I, I guess stance on Nintendo. I, I think that in the first episode, she, she really put forth that Nintendo had an outsized effect on the video game industry. Um, just partly because of what, what the video game industry was at the time. And that it's kind of, almost propagated into this much larger thing. I think in the second episode, she put, put much less of the, the social responsibility on Nintendo, I think, um, you know, because it's, you know, while a lot of these, uh, these other, other games have become very violent, very, you know, I think far more extreme than, you know, the, the classic Mario and, and Peach example. But I mean, I, I do think that there is an element of social responsibility. Like if it's not advancing the plot in any meaningful way, then, why not take the tack of social responsibility? Well, I mean, you know, they, they, and with their, some of their games, they are taking, they're, they're moving on. Like with Luigi's Mansion, there wasn't a damsel in distress. Damsel in distress. It was I love a brother in distress. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean like, you know, so, so they are at, at the same time, like I, I want to give them credit because they are at the same time making steps forward. But at the same time, for every step forward, they're also staying in the same place. Because with every new Mario game, Peach just gets kidnapped again. Or, you know, Peach is not getting kidnapped, and then she's kidnapped again. Or Peach is going go-karting, and then she gets kidnapped again. Uh, but, you know, it's not it's not every game. And we do have to, you know, give them credit where credit is due. Uh, but, I don't know, I, I agree with you. I don't think any of us here are going to outright argue anything that's... That was just said, unless Carmen is something that he's burning. <laughs> <laughs> I, for one, am happy that we get to play her again in Super Mario 3D World. So I'm, I'm good there. But, um, you know, like I said before, Nintendo isn't out to... This isn't their goal. And I think the second video, being more contemporary, shows that, you know, there's a lot more industry out there. And, you know, if, if people do want to start saying, let's be contemporary, let's start... You know, taking this thing and making the claim, which a lot of games now do, that they're, you know, they're so, you know, intense, they're dramatic, they're, they, they, they're emotional, they're good, they're well-written, and they're cinematic. I think, uh, I think we should try for, you know, higher standards of narratives and, and higher standards of plot devices. And one thing I really like about, uh, Sarkeesian's stuff is that she, it's great to have this stuff to talk about because she's, giving us, you know, uh, she's describing how you can approach this, how you can look at it. And then also she's just going, like in this video, she's going and she's showing like an example, uh, repeated examples of how modern day games in the past decade have been carbon copies of of uh, a certain trope. When she goes into the video and she says, you, you know, the, uh, your wife dies and then you have to save your daughter. She jumps to another game and she can say the exact same thing. I think it shows that there's still a long way to go if we want to make these claims that games are improving. And maybe Nintendo's not the one to do that. But, you know, we've got a whole... Uh, there's a lot of other companies that, you know, if they want to do this, you know, they uh, we should start taking a harder look at it. Well, and, I mean... Uh, I, I agree with you, though, that maybe Nintendo isn't the one to do this right now, because when, while you were saying all that, I was thinking of one 
game that, that everyone claims to be great and it is great. And there's no, you know, your wife dies and then your daughter, you have to save your daughter kind of thing. And that, that game is, you know, not for Nintendo, although one day I hope it will be. And it's journey journey. There's no gender roles. There's no anything. There's just you on a journey. Sometimes you'll meet someone else and sometimes they'll be with you the whole time. Sometimes you'll meet a bunch of travelers, but in the end, like it's still this wonderful cinematic game that, you know, doesn't rely on gender roles to push forward the plot, which, you know, I think says something for video games is that they don't, that not all video games need uh, a damsel in distress. Well, no, and I, and I, I don't think the argument, right, is that every game is like this. I, and actually, Sarkeesian um, sort of has foreshadowed the next episode, in which case, you know, she's going to look for, um, games that don't fall back on those tropes and perhaps even subvert some of those tropes. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that. But um, you're right. I mean, you can. there's always examples out there of games that do it right. Um, but it's really all about preponderance. And, you know, the way that she goes through example after example after example after example, it's very incisive. And in fact... You know, when she finally gets to the the bionic uh, bionic commando bit about his wife is part of him. <laughs> I mean, his you know his wife is is his arm. I mean, I think we all have to stop and say like, wow, this <laughs> this is bad, right? I mean, this this trope has been taken to the point of absurdity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, don't get the sh- well. We're not gonna get into that right now, but. Uh, we, we do got to say that, yeah, for every good game that comes out that doesn't, you know, have to rely on, on a certain trope to move its plot forward and is a creative and all-around great game, that there are 10 or 20 shitty games that come out. Like, you know, the, yeah. that's just how it is. And there are a lot of really bad games that have really lazy writers. Believe me, I've reviewed a bunch <laughs> of them. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, I uh, think it's worthwhile to point out that, like, even movies, you know, they still have a lot of this thing going on. And video games is, you know, new and we're conscious of this as a medium. But it's sort of a larger question of, of culture. And, you know, the damsels in distress wasn't invented by Nintendo with video games. It's just yeah, Nintendo. Sarkeesian pointed that out, that it goes, you know, as far as... Way back. As back as, yes. <laughs> yeah. I hear there's a rumor that Pong was actually based on a game where you have to save your wife. <laughs> just a rumor. Josh, just a rumor. Josh, the wife is the ball. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> Selena. <laughs> I, I, don't know, I imagine her name is Selena. I, it, you know, getting back to the 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 lazy writers comment. You know, part part of me views these tropes versus women critiques and thinks, yeah, you know, these representations are bad for women, but one can take a completely other perspective, which is like, how can we put up with the same stupid cliched plots and game after game after game? And, you know, I think the feminist critique, it's, it's taking a look at games through a certain lens. Um, but I think, you know, moving forward with the medium, um, we should do. We should look at games with a lot of different lenses, and you know, hold them up to a higher standard and expect a little more out of them. <laughs> you know, as a whole. Yeah, I can totally. Well, you know, games 
we're going to diverse. I, I really think it's great that games will diversify and that we're actually going to be able to tackle more things. I still look at games and say that, you know, with movies, we've got a ton of different genres. I don't really see a lot of genres for games. There's action games and then there's where's my romantic comedy, you know, sort of thing. And where's oh, if my... you want that, go for Sprung. That came out. Oh, with I DS love for... Sprung. I love it. <laughs> Do you? Oh really? my god! Yes. <laughs> that was my first game for the DS, and I beat it like three times. Oh my god! It's so good. Anyone out there, track down a co- copy of Sprung. It was made by Ubisoft, but I think it had an American, an uh, an American team writing it, and there was like yeah, a, a bunch and... of soap opera writers. It was it's awesome. <laughs> Maybe that's what the video game industry needs. <laughs> more 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 soap opera soap opera writers. Well, I think I think the thing about a game like Sprung and then even look at a game like Phoenix Wright is Oh Phoenix Wright. Oh my god, uh, Phoenix Wright. Is you have to look at games and we need to I think Sarkeesian talks about this too in the second video. The problem is also impacted by the fact that a lot of games are only about a violence or you know, committing or they're action games, and you can only act through violence. Yeah. And that just shapes the entire thing. And actually, I was at E3 2006, and there was a panel with, um, I'm not sure if it was the panel with Cliffy B and, and the guy from Red Steel or, Todd or someone from id, but I asked a question of, you know, we've talked about games for adults all this time, but why don't we actually see any, you know, more nuanced things? And they said, and basically the answer was, in these games, all players have is the gun. So they tried to put someone in there who gives you this whole backstory and dialogue and and all this drama, but the players, their only recourse would be to try to shoot them in the face because that's the only thing they can do. And until we can make games that that have different verbs in them, you know, out the, the, the fact that we can only shoot people in the face as a form of expression is going to shape the stories. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you did respond to violence with violence in Phoenix, right? At least for a few of them. You did kind of send people to die. Yes, but your tool was was not physical violence. It was... Um, it was a thirst for revenge fueled by the it, blood it was, of your enemies. That's, that's a, a motivation. Courtroom. That's a motivation, not, my not, your, not your action. My weapon was revenge. Your action was to... Uh, was... I don't know. I remember reading that actually Phoenix Wright only has two verbs. You can either tell, say, basically trust somebody and say they're lying, or you can offer a contradictory piece of evidence. But you the game uses those two verbs. Well, investigate to find those pieces of evidence, those items. And then to but, um, send them to the gallows. So I think the most violent thing you can do, well, the most violent personal action you can do is call them a liar. Fair enough, fair enough. I will back down. Okay, but I think you were saying something, Julia? Yeah, I was, uh, so you talking about you know, the kind of unrelenting violence in, in some of these games kind of reminded me, you know, there are ratings advisories, and, you know, I think the Japanese government has taken measures to reduce violence in video games. And I think that's created social awareness in terms of, you know, these violent video games may have an impact on, you know, whoever's playing it at whatever age. But, you know, I think that the, the, the using the objectifying women in this way, you know, it maybe it would be, it'd be nice to have, uh, or in, in due course to have, uh, have that kind of advisory as well. And in addition to these, these, uh, cautionary 
tales on, on violence in video games. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. So that sort of have that be part of the the list of things that are important. Yeah. You know, when you're saying when you're emphasizing violence, you know, violence is something to be concerned about. You know, why not something like you know the the treatment of women, mm-hmm. or like like very easily quantifiable things like con- contained scenes of you know graphic uh, violence towards women, adult situations, suggested dialogue, mm-hmm. the sort of stuff TV has. Actually, right. TV right. sort of has. Su- but, um, I mean, I just want to point out again that, you know, there's a lot of games that don't use violence, and I just want to see more of that. I mean, Animal Crossing, okay? You know, the most whoa, violent whoa, thing you can do there is... How are you playing Animal Crossing? <laughs> because my town is painted red with the blood of my enemies that have wronged me. <laughs> I'm probably not the greatest guy to ask about this topic of conversation, I'm realizing, <laughs> as we get further into this. Josh, I'm afraid of how you play Harvest Moon. Okay. <laughs> We're not going to get into that. We're not even going to get into that right now. Luigi's Mansion is a like a, like you mentioned earlier. It's a it's a great example that that game just delighted me. I don't I don't remember if uh, Dream Team is has another Princess Peach kidnapping as usual or not. Um, in terms of Nintendo games, kind of steering away from from the trope. Yeah, I think Don said that uh, Peach does require rescue yeah. at one point. Okay. All right. <laughs> But, uh, but uh, wait, how about this? How about um, Fire Emblem games? They have been they're they're you know they're Nintendo owned and Nintendo run and all that Nintendo goodness. And I I'm a huge fan of them. I've been playing them forever. And although there are like kidnappings, there's kidnappings of princes, princesses. It's not just one gender or the other. And for half the games, you're you're the you play uh, a fem a f- woman general tactician. Whatever you want to call it, like the the main character is a very strong female lead who needs no rescuing, not even. And at the end, sometimes they rescue the prince, um, and that's they've been doing that for for years and years. It just recently came over to America, so that's only when I started <laughs> playing them. So I don't know if maybe I'm missing a, a few of them, but uh, I do want to. I just I wish I brought that up earlier. I'm sorry. I know that I'm. This is a calling back to like 15 minutes ago. Um, to, to like the whole like Luigi's Mansion thing, but uh, there, I yes, Nintendo does have some other games. I'll be quiet now. Sit in the corner. It's just that again, I want diversity of representation. I mean, just as someone who loves the video game medium, I like I said before, I want my romantic comedies and my action movies, and I want everything in between. And if we do that, I think we'll solve. The, I think we'll go a long way towards showing a lot more different representations of women. I mean, I'm going to go out there and buy Bayonetta, but Bayonetta 2 for the Wii U, but I don't want that to be the only version of female characters out there. And I think that's what this boils down to again. It's just, sure, I don't I don't expect this trope to go away. In fact, I'm completely fine with Princess Peach getting kidnapped in like 80% of the games she's in, but that's just, but I want there to be other things going on because I'm not I don't want that to be the only example out there. I want, you know, complexity. And, right. uh, yeah, I, it's just, uh, and, and the problem too is that, you know, Luigi's been pushed in a, in a corner all this time too, just because he doesn't fit the typical example of your male hero, you know? Yeah, he's not fat and short. <laughs> and he's, he's, he's afraid of spiders. <laughs> and, and I think Sarkeesian pointed out that, you know, this is as damaging to, to, 
you know, uh, these strict gender roles are damaging the men too because now they only have one example of how they're supposed to act. Right. And, you know, I, one thing I love about Mario and Luigi is that, you know, they, they don't, I mean, I, I played Halo, but I don't want everyone to be Master Chief. You know, Mario is great and he's, he's just like this great mascot to have and he's family friendly and I don't, I think he's unobjectionable. I, yeah, I mean, I, getting back to the diversity point, yes, there is a time and a place for the crude, unsophisticated uh, male adolescent power fantasies, I think, as Sarkeesian puts it, right? <laughs> but it's it's really just the preponderance of, of games and what writers keep falling back on. I, you know, I don't, I don't think... I, I know I said this before, but I just really want to reiterate the point. I don't think the criticism is you know, to eliminate certain types of representations from media. It's just to make people mindless, mindful enough to, you know, start understanding why some of them are used so often and how those types of representations can be harmful to women. So I think, you know, one of the most disappointing things to me about this whole um, women in tropes series, project, uh, whatever, is just the response of some of the people in our community uh, to it. And just the, the really unnecessary level of defensiveness, you know, and I think it's important for people to realize that taking a critical look at something um, is not to completely devalue it, right? In fact, I think looking at something like gaming critically adds value. Um, so people should think about that when if somebody says something about something that they like that is is critical right it's not because they don't want people to enjoy video games it's it's because they probably themselves really enjoy video games and just want to to make it better and to elevate it and i think that's what this kind of dialogue will will do if it's if it's taken in any meaningful way i mean is that everybody will benefit from from shifts away from from these kinds of stereotypes, and you know, it, ideally, it would make for a, a more diverse, you know, more dynamic, you know, just a much more inventive um, and and fun like video game set. It's just I it, I can I can t- completely agree with the people who find it, who who find themselves feeling defensive, and it is it is uncomfortable to like watch these things, and 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 feel the criticism and it's almost personal but i i feel like you know we have to head into that storm and we'll come out video games will come out the other end stronger if we can actually face up to it and acknowledge the complexities because video games are getting more complex and it's just going to be i think that's just going to be a more wonderful thing i agree agree. yes (laughs) (laughs) okay so here's looking forward to uh the next video in the series, and I do think the in, there's a lot more talk about this in the industry, and uh, I invite anyone in the forums to chime in on TalkBack, and maybe we'll continue it there. Okay, thanks everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Welcome to what will likely be a recurring segment here on Connectivity. I'm Neil Ronahan, and with me is Scott Thompson. Hello. And I guess uh, we don't really have a name for this yet, but I guess This Week in Nintendo might be something. Where yeah, I like that. We're going to record uh, usually to focus on the downloads that came out that week, so they might be really short, depending on the amount of interesting and you know quantity quantitative content <laughs> that we get each week. Uh, this week... It was a pretty solid week for downloads, and we also had a Nintendo Direct, so we're going to cover that a little bit. But it wasn't really a groundbreaking Nintendo Direct, so we're just going to hit some of the things that at least we think are interesting. Um, before we dive into the stuff that I think is interesting, let's talk about what Nintendo thought was the most interesting <laughs> and led with. Uh, Sonic Lost Worlds on Wii U and 3DS. There's going to be some sort of connectivity feature between the two systems, which is kind of neat, and then Rayman Legends on Wii U. Now, Scott, how, how do you feel about Lost World and Rayman Legends at this point? The Honestly, the most recent footage from Lost World got me to move from, like, absolutely don't care to, like, oh, okay, this doesn't look terrible. I, I still don't know that I... I don't know. You know, I've been burned by Sonic, I guess is, is what I'm trying that's, to say here. That's kind of what I'm at with Lost <laughs> World, because I was... When I first saw it, I'm like, wow, they seems like they finally figured the shit out. And then I played it at E3 and was really underwhelmed. Um, mm-hmm. I seem to be in the minority, though, because a lot of people are, are kind of ape shit over it, even people who played the E3 demo. Yeah. But for me, I mean, it just kind of felt like tired, the, the same old bullshit with a slightly different color. It's like, this time, he's wearing a, a blue hat instead of a red <laughs> one. Like, that's kind of what it felt like to me. Yeah. It's like, now you're playing behind the back and you can rotate around this this tube. And I'm like, cool, it still controls pretty awkwardly and starting and stopping isn't really that nice. Yeah, that's I, I've never really been big into the 3D Sonic games. Yeah. I think, um like, the Sonic Rush series on DS was really great. And then sort of the, the prequels to those, the Sonic the Hedgehog games that came out on Game Boy Advance were really great. Yeah. Um, and then I even, I even really enjoyed, um, the recent, um, Sonic, like, XBLA game. Oh, Sonic the Hedgehog 4? Yeah, and then, yeah, parts, what, 1 and 2? I think they yeah. never yeah, did I a 3. Yeah, I think they, they cut it off after that. Um, even those were, were pretty solid, but the 3D stuff just doesn't, doesn't really appeal yeah. to me. Because it is a lot of just, like, running really fast in a straight line, and then anytime you have to, like, stop, it just, it becomes terrible. Yeah, and that's what I missed at E3 was the 3DS version of Lost World, but even that's a 3D... Sonic game, as far right. as I know, it, and yeah. it's not that that's not appealing to me, but that's one that I need to I need to like get my hands on before I fully judge it. But the Wii U one, I'm I'm not really that interested in. That could change if people seem to be really digging it, and maybe I maybe I play it and see it in a different light. Um, but as of now, I'm not too excited for Lost World. Yeah, hopefully there'll be a demo. They did a demo for Sonic Racing, so hopefully yeah. Sega will we'll keep that up. But, you know, if I get sold on a demo, maybe I'll eventually check it out. But, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm still on the fence about that one. But And then we got Rayman, which, you know, we've seen promoted now for over a year and should have already been out half a year ago. Yeah. And now I know a... you're, you're, you've always been one of the people that's been really big on Rayman Legends. Uh, yeah, I am. From the demos and everything. Are you... Still signing up day one, getting this on Wii U? I will, yeah. I, I'm trying to act, like, tough and angry and angsty, but I'll still end up buying it on day one. Um, I, I really love Origins, and I, I the Challenge app has been great, and I'm just a big fan. I like the, the new rhythm levels and everything, so there, there's no way I won't be getting it 
Um, and it's a fun game for Tabby and I to play together. Now, yeah, because we were, we were talking about this right before the show when I mentioned that I think if I get this game, I'll probably get the Vita version. Yeah. Um, because I'll probably only play it as a single-player experience, and that version will be cheaper than other versions. And from what I, I've only played the demo of Rayman Origins on Vita, and I'm kind of thinking about the, the 675 deal that's going on on the, uh, the PSN with PS Plus and everything this week. Um but I really like the way that game feels on Vita, and I think playing Legends on Vita might be the way to go. Now, for you with Wii U, like, what's what's keeping you to that instead of, like, going to 360 or PS3 or Vita? Well, you don't have a Vita, so that answers that one. <laughs> um, well, A, um, I don't play 360. <laughs> I have one, but I, I, I don't play it because um, I don't want to play for, pay for gold. And then my PS3 is broken. So, like, by default, I have to do oh, Wii U. Okay. But I would still do Wii U anyway, because that's kind of where I'm trying to focus most of my gaming time, I guess you could say. Even though there's, there's no, like, online mode or something, I just, I don't know. There's something about having an HD Nintendo console now that it's, like, I don't want to just, you know, I don't yeah. want to take that for granted. And also, like, off-TV play is exactly, still a hell of a yeah. thing. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I just am comfortable doing my gaming there. And that's I've added, like, I mean, my friend's list is full of people from NWR and stuff, and... You know, it's just where I, it's where I'm most comfortable yeah. playing games that are available on everything. But for your case, I mean, if, with having a Vita and not probably playing much multiplayer at all, like this is a great game to have on the go. I mean, yeah. a challenging uh, 2D platformer that you can just like jump in and play a level and then jump out. And I hope, I, and maybe the Vita, I, I haven't followed up too uh, too much on it, but the Vita might even have the touchscreen stuff that's in the Wii U version, which would be pretty sweet. I'm still kind of, oh, yeah. I don't really understand how they're gonna take all the like the Murphy stuff from Rayman Legends and make that even work on 360 and PS3. I'm, I'm really curious because I, I, I just don't know unless they're going to use tablet support. Once again, I haven't kept up with it on any other system other than Wii U, so I don't know for sure. But anyway, let's move on to some other stuff from the Nintendo Direct. Um, what I thought was really cool, even though I realized when I started to get pissy that Professor Layton and the Azran Legacy, the sixth Layton game, it's uh, coming out in Europe in November. It's already It came out in Japan earlier this year. And it's coming out in North America in 2014. Regardless, I think it's the quickest translation time for a Lightning game ever. And, um, uh, I mean, it's the kind of thing where before I get pissy about the European version coming out first, I need to take a step back and realize that I still haven't beaten Miracle Mask. So maybe I should beat that and then complain. <laughs> but maybe, maybe next week, maybe next week I'll be all pissed off and be like, well, I beat Miracle Mask now. Where's the next one? <laughs> yeah. It's um, weird. I mean, I understand that's a text-heavy game, so translating it from Japanese to English is one thing, but there's there's no excuse to not release yeah. it in Europe and America at the same time. Yeah, but I mean, we'll we'll see. Maybe maybe North America will get some bone thrown our way. Who knows? <laughs> well, um, it, the thing is now, like, we're so behind that if they were to catch up, they'd have to put out, like, two latent games in the same year, and maybe that's the problem, is now that they're behind, they don't want to, like, flood yeah. us with latent well, games. Well, I mean, now... With when the sixth one comes out, then we'll be caught up. And then we did find out that Professor Layton versus Ace Attorney is coming out in 2014 as well. Mm -hmm. And with those two releases, that means we will be on the same page as Japan, barring no announcement of a new Layton game in the next well, six months. <laughs> that's the big thing. <laughs> Although I, I'm pretty sure that Level Five, at least right now, they're not working on a Layton game. I think um, they've. Like Akira Hino has said as much in recent times about how I think he wants to go back to the series, but they haven't done it yet. So mm -hmm. I think we might have a little while. But e either way, I'm really excited for both Layton Six and Professor Layton versus Ace Attorney because the trailer that they showed for 
Leighton versus Ace Attorney just looks super fucking ridiculous. Just and, crazy, right? <laughs> and I remember hearing some of the buzz on that from the Japanese version was that, you know, it's it's kind of a little janky because they're, the two gameplay styles don't totally add up. But for me, that's just one of those, like, Tatsunoko versus Capcom insane things that, like, even if it fails a little bit, it's still going to be really cool to see. Or even Project Cross Zone is probably a better example. Where it's yeah. just this mishmash of characters and worlds that doesn't might might have some faults, but just seeing it all put together is a unique thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I love this kind of crossover stuff. Um, yeah. As long as it's at least somewhat playable, <laughs> yep, this, yep. this will be that. So, yeah. and I'm surprised that it's coming here. Um, yeah. Do we know? I know the the thought was that it was just going to be a digital release. Do we know if that's still the case? I don't think anything's confirmed. Although I do think Level Five is publishing it. Um, yeah, that's what I've what I've heard regarding that. So it's not Capcom, and I don't know if Level Five. Well, yeah, I mean, it could be outside of the 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 Guild Zero Two games or the just the Guild games in general. No, it's the only stuff Level Five has published in North America. This this might just be a digital release, but we don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think we won't find out until level 5 says as much. Um, the other thing that I just want to point out is The Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds is so fucking cool. So good. Yeah, like, the more they show me of that game, the more I just want it, like, directly into my veins right yeah. now. I'm so excited. This is probably going to be... I mean, Skyward Sword was really, really... I mean, it was really great. I love Skyward Sword, but this will probably be the best Zelda game in a long time. Best handheld Zelda game yeah, for sure. That that I don't think is really that difficult. Yeah. Considering that what the, the I mean, Spirit Tracks is pretty solid. Uh don't get me wrong, I wasn't a big fan of Phantom Hourglass. Um Minish Cap is okay. Um and I'm only playing the Oracle games now, so And they're fine. Yeah. The yeah. last I mean, probably the greatest is probably Link's the first. Awakening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um so this will be exciting. I I really looking forward to this and Fingers crossed that they'll put out a Link to the Past, um, 3DS or Wii U uh, before this comes out because I'd love to revisit it. Like you, like we were talking about on Twitter in a legal manner. <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, you can play it on Wii Virtual Console, and I have it on Super Nintendo still. But I mean, there's oh, just you? something about playing it on Wii U would be way easier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm all for convenience in this day and age. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Probably I don't know why I keep my video game collection then if I'm just like eh. I could break out the Super Nintendo, or I, or I could just fucking buy it. Again. Yeah, spend nine bucks and download it, yeah. Um, and then the last thing from the Nintendo Direct that I thought was interesting was the virtual console games that were announced. Uh, Summer Carnival 92 Rekka, which is a super hard-to-find Japanese-only yeah. uh, Famicom release. I think it came out, um, well, yeah, it came out in 1992, like the fucking name says. Yeah, right. Bet- between, like... Between Earthbound and this, do you think like Nintendo's just trying to actively fuck with like like the used games market? Like, like I really eBay? Hope so. <laughs> like are they gonna next week they're gonna announce like the um what was it called? Like the Nintendo World yeah. Champion. Nintendo cartridge. World Championship. That I mean <laughs> in all honesty, there's no doubt in my mind. I think we'll probably get this on virtual console within the next year or two. <laughs> it's like crazy. Like I it just feels like an active an active yeah. motive now. Um I mean that's that's pretty cool. I think I think I might pick that up just for the novelty factor, but it doesn't really sound like something I give a shit about because no. it's just a really hard shmup. Right. And like given like how much stuff is already out on the Japanese virtual console that should come to America, like what a weird, yeah. weird thing to focus on and highlight in a direct nonetheless. I mean yeah. it's just so bizarre. But then we found out that Tech Mobile is coming over, which yeah. um that's kinda weird. I believe that the the Tech Mobile on NES came out on Wii Virtual Console. 
Um, I think I so. I probably fact check this. Yeah, um, the 2007 Virtual Console release is a modified version of the game without the NFLPA license since EA owns exclusive rights to it. Thus, the players are represented only by number and not by name. So who the fuck cares? Yeah, and that's probably what's going to happen again. Yeah, because, this, I mean, this looks like it's, I mean, it's the same NES version coming to Wii Virtual Console. And I, like I said, I love Tech Mobile, but if I can't play Bo Jackson, who gives a rat's ass? Or if I can't, I, I oddly like the Chicago Bears in the original Tech Mobile, because they only <laughs> really? have like 12 teams. That was mainly because I thought, I mean, I've always liked Walter Payton, just because he's yeah. an awesome player. Yeah. Um, and... While Bo Jackson was a superhuman robot, Walter Payton was also very good. And I think he played as Jim McMahon, who I think when I first played Tecmo Bowl, that's when he was a backup on the Packers in the mid-90s. Oh, so there you go. And also, I couldn't play as a Packer, so I had to pick a team to play as. Fun uh, connectivity factoid. Uh, I gave a copy of Tecmo Bowl away during uh, PAX when we did hey, Jeopardy. <laughs> look at that. That was one of our, like, if a person in the audience got a question right, we gave him the uh, NES cartridge. And on the back, I just wrote Bo Jackson in all capital letters. So, like, probably that's a couple that's what you do when that happens. Yep. If you're out um, there and you got that cartridge, email me. Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, Donkey Kong NES, who gives a fuck? Nope. How many versions of Donkey Kong Seriously. do I have at this point? I didn't even get the 30 cent version on Wii U. I was just going to say, and they were just signed up for 30, and now this yeah. is going to be like 6 bucks on yeah. 3DS. Um, I'd rather get the arcade version, honestly. Like, that that's more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Wario Land Three, though that that seems pretty awesome. Um, that's one of those games that I've never really played, so I'm excited for that to come in a way that I can play on my 3DS legally. Um, I'm super excited for that. It's just that it came out about eight months after every other region got it. Mm-hmm. And then Super Mario Brothers Three in uh this this week in big fucking surprise news right next to Luigi and Smash Brothers Super Mario <laughs> Brothers 3 will be coming to the Wii U and 3DS virtual console sometime soon yeah um, now this is interesting i think just because it's the first time they've announced a virtual console game to be hitting both platforms um not necessarily like same day they didn't say but they just yeah. announced it coming to both for sure um which is kind of interesting but will it mean cross platform play by on one play on the other probably not be yeah great. i mean well, I, I still think what Nintendo, not necessarily what they should do, because of course, in a in a perfect world, I would like to see them do what Sony's doing with Vita and, and PS3, where it's just cross by. Um, I think what they will do, and what I hope they do do, like this year, is have it where like you buy, you know, like let's say you buy um, Super Mario Brothers three on Wii U for five bucks, then for a dollar you can upgrade to have it on your 3DS. Um, and like, you know, that, the the same thing for the conversion rate for Super Nintendo games would also work. Um, you know, whatever, like maybe, maybe for N64 games, unfortunately, it's two bucks to make it work on your 3DS or something. But yeah, I mean, that seems like a solution that will let Nintendo still be a little money grubbing, but make it make more sense because I can, I can say for this much, like I'll probably, like I got Super Mario Brothers 2 upgraded on my Wii U. I don't want to buy it again on 3DS for five bucks. But if you said, oh, you can play it on your 3DS if you pay a dollar, I'd do that. Right. Yeah, that's and if they're going to do do it in any way, that'd probably be how they do it. <laughs> they're not yeah. going to give it away for free, probably. Very true. If they do it at all, I could easily see it being just available on both, and you have to pay regardless. They could totally get away with that, unfortunately. Yeah. At least for now. Um, so let's move on to This Week in Downloads. When this is probably what the segment will be 
more often is none of that Nintendo Direct funny stuff in the beginning. <laughs> um, you can check out uh, the Nintendo downloads in article form on the website. Justin Baker, as usual, wrote up a banging recommendation of uh, what you should check out on the downloads. Talking about Smash Bowling and Steam World Dig and Mario and Luigi Dream Team and all that jazz. But um, we're just going to tackle this from the top and work our way down. Uh, first off, we got a sale for Escape Vector for four ninety nine. Uh, that's in effect until two weeks from now, uh, August twenty second. Um, I gave I I really enjoyed the game. I believe I reviewed it. I'm not one hundred percent sure on this. Um, that's uh, I've had a busy life lately, so there there have been like um, the RFN poll Pandora's Tower one, and I reviewed that game like four months ago. <laughs> And it was one of those things where I'm like, fuck, what was that game like? And then I had to reread my review. And then it came back to me. But there was a minute there where I'm like, I literally spent like 15 hours in this game like four months ago. And I can't really remember that many specifics about it. Um, Not a lot of shit going on. But yeah, Escape Vector, a pretty cool game. I think it's a little long in the tooth. But that's not necessarily a bad thing when you're spending five bucks on a game. Yeah. Um, There's a shit ton of content in it. But I mean, it's... I found it pretty addicting. It's it's like a weird Pac-Man style game. Um, and, you know, you try to set a, a fast time on a stage and stuff like that and find the optimal route through it. I, I had a lot of fun with it. Have you checked it out at all, Scott? No, I haven't. Do you know what this game is? Yeah, I've, I've seen, like, screenshots and stuff, and I, I kind of thought about getting it in the past, so maybe the sale will uh, get me to do that. I don't know. But I, there's a lot of great stuff this week, too, so... yeah. Uh, Probably won't bite on this right away. Yeah, Mario and Luigi Dream Team is coming out on Sunday, on, on August 11th. Uh, you know, we, we're back up to that full price window, or the, or the $39.99 price for Nintendo published 3DS games. It was weird because Donkey Kong Country Returns and Animal Crossing were both 35 both at retail and on the eShop. Really weird for Animal Crossing. Donkey Kong, I get it's like a re-release of a Wii game, but yeah. Animal Crossing is a full, brand new game. It was like it was like it was just a really weird experimentation. I felt where they they made the games thirty five bucks, and I mean both of those games sold really well. Though I think that has nothing to do with the price. No. Um, so next down we've got Smash Bowling three D. Uh, that's four ninety nine, and it's from Big John Games. Um, the, they're they're generally good people. Uh, we we've had a long standing relationship with them as far as talking to them about stuff. They did this cool DSIware game, Thorium Wars. Uh, which is supposed to be a retail game. But Smash Bowling 3D is a bowling game on the 3DS. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's about it. Uh, you can do four-player four multiplayer using one system where, you know, you bowl and then you pass it to your friend and you bowl and, and then that guy passes to another friend and then he bowls. Yeah. And you do that. I mean, and that seems kind of fun because I played a shit ton of mixed messages. I I think I still have, even on my 3DS, played some mixed messages from time to time when, like, waiting for a movie to start with friends. Um, is, that, is that the one where you, like... It gives you something to draw. Yeah, it's it's a game of telephone. Oh man, that is really good. Yeah, and I mean, f- for this being a kind of past the past the system game, you know, having a bowling game like that, that actually doesn't sound too bad. Um, I mean, especially after seeing uh, shit. What's the name of the game? We talked about it on the Vita segment that you will hear next week. Um, oh god, damn it! Uh, Frobisher says when we played a ton of that. Oh Maxis, yeah. Um, just having that good portable game that you can just pass around and kind of play multiplayer as you go. Um, and that, that, I mean, this, this could fit into that hole. Uh, we have Becky Holliday is on the review, so we should hear more about her thoughts about the game very soon. 
Uh, next up, we got SteamWorld Dig from Image and Form. That is eight ninety nine, and this is getting an amazing amount of yeah, plays right now. Yeah, it's like blown up today. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean we we've had a couple interviews with these guys. I think uh, well on this very episode isn't uh you'll hear Don's, Don yeah. yeah Don interviewing uh not even gonna try to pronounce his name the, one of the dudes from Image and Form. Well, it, his first name is pronounced Brian, even though it's called, oh, okay. like, with a J <laughs> okay. and some other letters thrown in there. But it's, Don told me it's pronounced Brian. Okay, yeah. So, uh, so Brian from Engine Form, they're, they're Swedish dudes. Um, they're super cool. We did an interview with them, uh, an email interview that you can check up on the site. Uh, it's from, a, like, I think a month or so ago. It was when I think they talked about the release date of this game, which was kind of unassuming, but it seems like people love the shit out of this game so far. It's like a... A mining Metroid game, it seems. Yeah, Don gave it a nine, and then um, yeah, just uh, as people started downloading it today, I mean, they're they're going crazy for it on yeah. on Twitter. Yeah, my roommate downloaded it, and he's he's liked what he's played so far. Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, it's digging, and and it's like a Metroidvania, and it and it looks really nice too. It's like a sequel to a tower defense game, in which like the tower defense game was like these robots fighting against humans, and then the robots won, and now this is the that future. Which also like I like that setup too. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is actually kind of unique. Yeah, and then a uh, Tangram style, uh, six ninety nine, and actually on Nintendo's Nintendo's website it doesn't list who the publisher is. Um, <laughs> I think I might be able to find this up because someone was contacting them about getting a review code. Um, have you have you ever heard of Tangrams? No, I haven't. Although looking at the write up that Justin did, um, like when as he describes them, it sounds familiar. It's it's basically like these. Uh, I think I've seen them as like block puzzles before, but it's like these, you know, different like geometric shapes that then like you need to fit them into to make another shape. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's what this this game is, and it's from Moving Player. Uh, they're an indie studio based in the French Riviera. It seems like a cool place to be based in. Um, and we should have a review up on that soon. Um, but, uh, yeah, we don't we don't have anybody uh, on the docket to review that yet. We're still waiting on a review code for it. Um, but it might it might be cool. It might be a cool time waster. There's 600 puzzles in it, so wow. that could be nice. Now we're getting to, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know if these are slightly more exciting, but DuckTales Remastered is hell of exciting, but that's not out until next Tuesday, August 13th. Right. It's 1499. Um, I'll be getting this game day one, but once again, the big question is, what system, Scott? Wait, what, what system to get it on? Yeah. Uh, I'd do Wii U. Yeah, I think I'm doing Wii U. The off-TV play, and also, uh, they have a map on the, the, t- uh, like the gamepad, and, and oh, that okay. seems nice to have as well. But I do like how Justin does point out that you should just buy and listen to the music because it's it's already a great soundtrack, and then you have Vert from Way Forward doing the music for it, which, um, I've, from what I've heard of his music for Ducktales, it sounds incredible. Yeah, and also that game's hella cool. Yeah, I'm I'm really really excited for this. I I'm I'm worried though because as as is the case with a lot of these uh, old classic games that kind of get like new HD releases, you kind of find that with sort of like I don't know. You're like able Castle to blow through a lot. Um, no, well, maybe. Well, that's what, that's actually what I found because I played both this and Castle of Illusion, which, for some fucked up reason, isn't coming to Wii U. Um, yeah. And I think that is that. I don't even think that's out yet. I think that's out later in the month. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, but Castle of Illusion, uh, playing that over at Sega's booth at E3, I found I really didn't like what they did with the HD remake and how that game felt. 
Whereas with DuckTales, like, the game still felt fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, I guess... I'm, I'm, I, I think that DuckTales probably holds up better than Kessel. Like, yeah. I guess, too, I'm thinking of, like, the some of the beat-em-ups where, you know, like, the Simpsons uh, arcade game where it's, like, you have these fond memories of it, but once you remove, like, the, the penalty of having to pay quarters to keep playing, it kind of loses some of its charm, you know? Like, it's just not as difficult. And I don't know... Yeah. Do you know if DuckTales, like, I mean, is it infinite continues? Do you just keep going till you're done? I uh, Honestly, it's been a while since I played the NES game. And I was even a latecomer to the NES game. I yeah. Up, I bought the NES game, I think, for, like, five bucks, like, three years ago. Something like that. And that was the first time I ever really played it. It was just, the, like, that was not the... That was not the Disney game that I played in my youth. I played a shit ton of Quackshot. <laughs> I was a big guy. Uh, Chippendale... Rescue yeah, Rangers. Chip and, D- Chip and Dale was a game that I played as a kid. Yeah. I played this as a kid, but I just don't really remember. But I, I thinking of it as a classic NES game, I, I feel like I'm sure there were continues and you could just eventually game over. And I don't know if in this remastered version, if they've been, that's still in place, if they've removed that, if it's an option. But I find once that penalty is not there and you can just play straight through, they kind of lose some of their, uh, their charm because they're just not as challenging. But we'll see. Yeah. I'm excited either way. Yup, yup. Did you see the gold uh, cartridges that got mailed out? Yeah, yeah those are super cool. Awesome. Um, the next Wii U eShop game is Spin the Bottle Bumpy's Party, which is eight ninety nine for now. Um, this game has kind of an interesting pricing structure. It's from Knock Games. Um, I forget. They're, they're from Europe. I forget which country. I want to say the Netherlands, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Um, once again, Don did an interview with these guys on last week's episode of Connectivity, and he also mm-hmm. has a review up in which he... he he really dug the game, I know. Yeah, he gave it an 8. Cool. Um, <laughs> but this is the kind of game that, to me, uh, I will likely buy, um, because I know that there will be a chance where I am drinking and the Wii U is near me, and I will play this game, and I will force my friends to do stupid things with a Wii remote. Um, because you don't even need to use the TV. It's all on the gamepad. I know uh, I was talking to uh, the, the guy who worked on this at E3, and I think if you have the TV on, it'll have, like, ambient music. But for the most part, you just use the gamepad, and it spins the bottle, so to speak. And then it'll, you know, pick a person, and then pick a random person to do, like, a challenge with them. And uh, Guillaume and I actually played this at E3. Jared taped it, but apparently it didn't come out that good. Mm. But we had to do stuff like we would be um, on our knees with our backs between each other, with our, with our backs between each other, or, no, Back to back on our knees, and we'd have to hold the Wii remotes between our legs and act like we're sawing, but we'd have to do it in tandem. <laughs> so that way we'd actually get it right. There was another one where we had to stand up and be back to back and then pass the Wii remote in a circle, but we had to do it without waking the badger, which was the Wii remote. So, like, we couldn't shake the Wii remote a lot, or else the badger would wake up and we'd lose. Yeah. Um, and basically, like, you get different points for completing things and. Um, the cool thing about it is that you're, you're not really going to get into that situation where, uh, you have two people working together and if you win, oh, then that one person's going to get their last point and they're going to win because whoever's on the winning team, when someone wins, they both win. So, ah. but what happens with this game is that, uh, the developer is going to keep on adding more games to it. It's got 17 at launch and it's going to be $9. And they're going to add more games to it and raise the price each time they add more games to it. So, it's, I mean, it's an interesting pricing scheme because if you buy it for $9 right now, then you'll get every game that ever comes to the game. 
However, if you wait and like, you know, they add a couple games and raise it up to like 10 or 11 bucks, then you'd have to buy it for that if you want to get the game. But I mean, it definitely sounds like if, if you're going to have some friends over, maybe you're tired of Nintendo land. Maybe, maybe you just all hate TVs then spin the bottle might be a really fun game to get. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm really excited. I think this will be a fun party game for sure. And I'm going to download it. And and see, I, that's, that's the kind of thing. I don't know if I should just buy it now, even though I don't know when anything will come up that I'll actually use it or yeah. risk paying more later. I don't know. Yeah. I think I might, I might end up getting it this weekend. It'll, it'll probably be like, Oh, we're going to have a few friends over tonight. I know what I'm getting. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I look forward to playing this at PAX East, honestly. Yes. Um, yeah. I look forward to playing a lot of Wii U stuff, PAX East next year. But the last game on the list is a Wii U virtual console game. Romance of the Three Kingdoms 4, Wall of Fire, is available for $8, and despite the fact that I don't ever remember this game coming out on the Wii Virtual Console, it did. Yeah, it's um, a Sega Genesis so, game, right? No, it's a Super Nintendo game. Is it a Super... Wow, okay. Yeah, I think there was a Romance of the Three Kingdoms at Sega Genesis. Was don't there? quote me on that, but I also know this version came out on PC, the Saturn, the Dreamcast, uh, most of these only in Japan, the 32X, the PlayStation. Wow. So it got around. Um, and this was, uh, I think 1995 was when it came out. Hmm. Um, but I mean, it's a, it's a turn-based strategy game. It takes place in China during the second Han dynasty. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I've never really played a Romance of the Three Kingdoms game, so I can't really say what it's like, but I think it's, you know, it's in that similar vein of a Fire Emblem or a Shining Force. Yeah. So if that's your bag, you might want to check it out. And if you found out to your surprise that you had this on Wii, you can upgrade it for a buck fifty. Well, there you go. What a weird, weird addition to the, the Wii U virtual yeah, console. Like, Secret There's, of Mana? Nah. Yeah. Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VI, I mean, anything. Yeah. Mario, any Mario game. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> no, let's throw Rom- Romance of the Three Kingdoms on there. Yeah. Well, why not? All right, well, I think that's it for this, uh, this, this week in Nintendo news. Maybe we'll come up with a better name. Maybe this will just be our, uh, our, our own Nintendo Direct. Who knows? <laughs> connectivity Direct. Yes. A Connectivity Direct, and then we have to do the little sign. Maybe it'll just be like two middle fingers instead of doing the, the, the little <laughs> yeah. direct sign that he wanted. Yeah. Us. I like it. All right. Well, I uh, hope you enjoyed, and if you have any questions, uh, be sure to call us. Call us. Call us. <laughs> email us. Call us at 1-800-2-middle-fingers. No. Um, be sure to email us at connectivity at nintendoreport.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter at, at Enron10, and you can hit up Scott on Twitter at, at OKSoda. That's so, right. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed, and give us feedback, because that's the only way we'll, we'll learn. It's true. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Hello everyone and welcome to another eShop interview here on Nintendo World Report. Um, my name is Dan Koopman and I am here with Ryan. Hi. Hi. How hi. are you doing? I'm pretty good, thank you. Um, we have a bit of a ramshackle start. We had to cover out some things, but uh, now we're kicking and we're kicking live here with an interview. Um, could you kick things off by 
talking a bit about yourself. Well, sure, I can do that. So uh, I'm Brian Sirugeson, and I run uh, Image and Form. Uh, it's a game dev studio in Gothenburg, Sweden. And there's 11 of us now. Um, it's actually the biggest we've ever been. Uh, as all studios, I think you sort of, you run an amoeba kind of lifestyle. Uh, you, yeah. you grow and then you shrink a little bit and then you grow again. And right now we're on the rise. So we just want to ride the wave. Um, we've been in business since 1997, but uh, we haven't gone into game development only until 2004 and that's when we got started doing a lot of Mac and PC games uh, sort of um, what do you call them uh, play and learn games for kids mm -hmm. and then uh, after that in uh, in around 2009 or so we decided to um, move into iOS development and we made a couple of questionable games for iOS and then we made a really great game for iOS called Ant Hill. So Ant Hill was a major success for us both critically and uh, economically mm -hmm. and uh, now we are doing uh, a game for the Nintendo 3DS instead so it's quite a leap for us but I can I'm sure you'll ask me about the la that later uh, of course I will for you have also made your company has also made like in the same series like a DSiBar title because I believe because the the steam world thing didn't came just pulled out of a hat uh, it, it start <laughs> it started as a title called I believe steam world Def tower defense which was released yeah. like what was it was roughly three years ago um, <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Uh, we we released uh, SteamWorld Tower Defense just because um, at that point uh, in 2010, when we released that game, yeah. um, we were we were just leaving a very comfortable sort of work for hire uh, production studio phase, where we had done all these kids games, and we had tried and failed with a few uh, early iOS games. And then we got a very talented programmer uh, on board who had done uh, Nintendo DS games before. And we wanted to uh, check out the DSiWare store. And so we made this tower defense game with a twist where where it's human humans versus robots, but... Mm -hmm. But the twist is that you play the the nice and friendly robots against the greedy, sort of depraved-looking humans, and so that was that was the uh, it, it actually caught a little bit of attention. But we we were very much rookies at the time uh, when it comes to uh, PR and marketing, yes. as we had had such a comfortable ride up until then, and so we did. Uh, a bare minimum of PR we sent out f for reviews to I think three or four places, and amazingly the the game paid for itself. Yeah, and it was a huge surprise to us because we realized that, that the uh, DSiWare store was a, a, a quite horrible marketplace. It was it was a it was really hard to find games and um, but 
people found it and it paid for itself. But, and so, yeah, I believe yeah. that IGN did a, did a review of it. I mean, currently the, the the maker of that review, Lucas and Thomas, is my boss at like Nintendo Force Magazine, and yeah. he, he worked like all that DSIRA stuff back in the day, and. Yeah. and it's 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 what my soul me back in that back in the day on most of that Desire games as well. So, um, in that fashion, that was kind of the amazing point for you guys that IGN saw that game and thought, let's publish a review, and everybody saw it. Yeah, I don't know if you've been talking to Lucas about this this these last few days, but we actually got an email from Lucas, uh, <laughs> and I you know I had to write back immediately and say you know thanks if. If it weren't for you, I mean, we wouldn't have made SteamWorld Dig, which we're putting out now, because if he hadn't published that review, we uh, that game wouldn't have, we would have lost money making it, and we probably would just have scrapped the idea of, of going with yeah. with Nintendo. So, uh, Lucas Thomas, wherever you are, <laughs> we love you to be. I, I, will, I will send him a mail with this interview, possibly, <laughs> like two days later. Okay. <laughs> um, but what what made you then what made you so look back on that game so fondly and made you go back to that universe because it has been a gap between those two games of course oh it has uh, it's uh, <clears throat> for us it's been um, so we made that game in 2010 and then when we had finished that game we got a grant for making Antil for uh, for iOS mm-hmm. and that sort of put us in a in a difficult spot because we had gotten money to develop it so we we thought that okay we have to develop that game and so we made Antil and uh, very, very soon it turned out to be a sort of a hit um, gameplay and uh, and so we developed that and that was a success after Antil we uh, we went back to do a little bit of work for hire mm-hmm. because we tried out some pro- prototypes for other iOS games that we we had lying around, or ideas that we had lying around. Yeah. And the prototypes weren't that satisfying. Hmm. And so we were thinking, okay, isn't it time then to revisit SteamWorld and to expand on that story? Hmm. Because in the beginning, when we made SteamWorld, we thought, yeah, that's a, that's a nice twist. But uh, towards the end of making SteamWorld Tower Defense, we thought, how, how did this world come about? Why is it, why is it the way it is? what is the background story? And and we sort of thought, okay, what must have happened for for this world to exist the way yeah. it is? Why are the humans the lowlifes? And why are the robots the friendly guys? It's always the other way around. I think uh, even in the PR, you, you called it hobos, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's rude. And I... I, I <laughs> I, I I apologize to all hobos out there. Okay, um, but uh, the the thing that we thought up was that what if um, Charles Babbage, the uh, the inventor and and scientist in the nineteenth century, uh, I mean in in eighteen something, mm-hmm. he was working on a mechanical computer and he succeeded to a certain extent. But what if he had succeeded all the way in in making a computer a hundred years before the actual first computers were made mm-hmm. with and and at that how would he have done it at that time well obviously he would have to do something 
steam driven. You yeah. you didn't have electricity, and if he had managed in, managed making uh, mechanical computers that way, well, the step going from there to to making robots is not that huge. Okay, so he managed to make robots that uh, do all the menial tasks. What will happen to the world? Okay, our idea was that humanity would be lazy and depraved <laughs> and and uh, uh, and also the robots would happily go about doing all the things that they were programmed for yeah but there would be one more thing that these guys in the 19th century wouldn't have foreseen and that's weapons technology would have accelerated much much faster if you would have mechanical computers the accuracy of all your cannons and so on would have gone up yeah. amazingly. And that means that you could have full-scale world wars at that point in time. And that, in SteamWorld, that is exactly what has happened. Yeah. Everybody copies everybody else's technology, and then you have bigger wars than you're really prepared to have. And you have bad communications, so you can't really negotiate over the phone. And uh, so humanity blows itself to bits, more or less. And the parts that are untouched after a big war like this uh, is exactly hobo land, where nobody was. So a few hobos that have no intention of running the world, they're still around. Yes. But the robots who are doing all the meanly tasks, they're actually the ones who are getting the the day-to-day business done. Yeah. So, now that you are back to that franchise and you are releasing to the world SteamWorld Dig, um, yeah. so the war against the humans is now over and they and you're now trying to explore minds for yourself. Um, in a few words, how can you describe like the game the best? I'd say it's, it's a game with... It's a story-driven mining platformer. So it's a story-driven mining platform adventure is what we call it. It's what you do in the game is you mine. Yes. Most of the, most of the game takes place inside a, a mine, and it's a two D mm-hmm. game. So you see it from the side. You have it's like someone just cut a slice, and you're looking at what Rusty, the the main character, is doing underground. Yes. So that's what you do. You mine. You bring up the loot to the surface, and you sell it to the shops, uh, and you get money to buy upgrades, uh, better pickaxes, other tools, uh, so you can go further down. And uh, it's we also call it a platform game because the controls in the game are very much that of a platform game. So you use any console would lend itself perfectly to SteamWheel Dig. It has really neat platform controls. But it's also an adventure. It's, it starts out at one distinct point, and it ends at a distinct point many hours later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, in between there, you have an escalating storyline. Story in the beginning, yeah. the, the game is, is uh, soft-paced and friendly and you, as you start out. Mm-hmm. And, you, and then you find more and more disturbing things underground until the climactic showdown at the Ooh. end. So it's, in that sense, it's a classic game. Yeah. It's, uh, it, 
it is uh, finite. You have you have a, a beginning, you have an end, and hopefully there's a lot of juicy stuff in the middle. That's always important. Towards the beginning, towards the end, always a goal mm-hmm. to go through. Um, talking about goals, then uh, your main objective is mine, sell and see the town of like I think it's called uh, Tumbleton. Yep. Yeah, Tumbleton like go to bigger glory. Um, like, how will the game progress, and how will you keep it fresh, like through its running time? Well, the thing is that you, it, we were concerned in the beginning um, of, of of two things, or it, it's mainly balancing things, but it made us change the gameplay as well. It was how do we how do we make sure that people don't get bored in uh, in playing it because mining is. In essence, it's grinding. You go down, you you pick up loot, you go to the surface, you sell it, you get better stuff, you go down again and mine and so on. How do you how do you prevent that from getting boring? And on the other end of that spectrum, how do you prevent people from getting through the game too quickly? Um, and and it, I mean that sounds harsh, but how do you keep people occupied the whole time? Yeah, and, and so. It's the game is uh, it's mission driven that way. So you you you're told from the beginning by the friendly people in Tumbleton up on the surface what you're supposed to do at first, and then you sort of find your way down there. And then these hints get fewer and far bet- more far between, and you sort of have to figure out for yourself what to do and where to go. Yeah, and there. There's a multitude of caves in the game that you that you go to pick up uh, serious upgrades and so on. Yes. And those and there are really no clues of how you're going to puzzle your way through those caves. Some are very simple, and some are a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, that's a perfect way of describing it, I guess. Um, so what I found in the game because I played it a bit for the people nothing to know, because we haven't mentioned that since the beginning. I'm sorry. Um, the game seems quite focused on your resources. So I played through some elements of it, and I found that I had to keep a lot of things in check. Um, so will you be able to to upgrade all your equipment in due course, or are there still like some restrictions to it later on? Well, it's uh, all your equipment is upgradable. Um, so all the things that you carry with you, and it's from the beginning, it's not very much. I mean, you you go down there with a pretty blunt pickaxe and a very small uh, knapsack on your back, and and it fills up very quickly. And then uh, one of the other elements in the game is is lighting. Uh, when you go down underground. Since you're a steam-driven robot, the light will dwindle as your coal dwindles. You, you use it up. So SteamWorld Dig has that, uh, that if you, if you play the game and somebody calls you on the phone and you, you take that call and, and <laughs> a while away, a few minutes, then when you return to the game, it's actually, if you're underground, it's actually quite dark and uh, you, you won't be able to see the resources around you and you sort of have to guess your way up again and when you get to the surface you, you get light so all of the resources in the game uh, can be upgraded and it's I would for myself the when I've played through it I've played through in a 
in, in, in a dozen of different ways. I've, I've tried collecting everything and uh, just find to find as much as possible. And I've also tried to just speed run down, basically just trying to drill a, a vertical uh, shaft to go... Did that, that go well? Pretty, no. It, <laughs> well, it's uh, you have to sort of pace yourself because... Well, for one thing, you can't really do that because your your equipment won't beat the tougher soil. The soil gets tougher yes, as you go down. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it it also, I mean, uh, I've found that once you've played it fully uh, once, where you've explored everything and you found all the caves and all the orbs that you want to collect and so on, then yeah, uh, you uh, the second time, uh, I bet you want to try to see how fast you can get down and uh, also how skillfully you can play meaning not only how fast you can go but also how how can you keep your number of deaths to a minimum and and so on it's uh, so it's uh, there are quite a few ge- ways to play this game yeah. and i think it has pretty excellent replayability value we'll get to that a little later um, mm-hmm. but um, just because our main character is more friendly, it doesn't mean that the adventure could severely damage it. I can we talked about deaths already a little bit. Um, what are some of like the obstacles that Rusty will encounter on a strip? And are there like large punishments for not being careful? Oh, there are, there are some there are some pretty evil punishments. Yes. Uh, well, for one, there I, sh- I don't know how much I should spoil, but. Uh, there are, let's call them just different types of enemies. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a, quite a number of, of those. Mm-hmm. But then there's also uh, environmental hazards. Yeah. Uh, as, as you go down, you will run into um, a lot of nastiness if you're not careful. Mm. Um, there are just lots of things with the ground that will will try to, try to screw you over. Mm-hmm. For example, you have... Uh, spike traps. For some reason, there are spike traps in, in in the underground, and then you have layers of acidic earth, which is very tricky to get past. Yeah, I mean, and, and the, in the early stages, I came across those spike traps, and I quickly found my, like my first upgrade, which were like I think the running shoes or their ability to run, and they, mm-hmm. those were a pretty help because those blocks like dis- disappear in an instant. So. It becomes like already you already get an idea of the dangers you are ahead of you pretty quick, right? And it's also it's a, always a balance issue in games. But here it's been that we want you to find the upgrade that you need to sort of get past the next uh, the next point. Mm-hmm. And it's chances are that you will find the upgrades. It yeah. gets trickier and trickier to get to them as you progress through the game. So, um, but yeah, it's a balance issue. Get get the upgrade, and it will sort of help you through the next phase. Yes, and that way it keeps that also keeps the player occupied for um, for a good while. I think it's very easy for the hours to zip by when you play this game. Mm-hmm. Um. So Rusty will not only be be exploring like the same desk as environments you see in the beginning, correct? Um... No, the 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 it's sort of 
it's a multi-world uh, setup. So you you sort of run through different uh, obstacles as you go along, uh, and also different as the worlds change. And the it's it's uh, thematic in that way. You you go through different thematic worlds on your way down, and then um, uh, you sort of have to learn to deal with different types of obstacles and uh, and enemies. And it also it it becomes in Steamworld Dig the um, the terrain itself gets tricky because you think okay how, I'm I'm supposed to dig this how how hard can it be yes. but then after a while digging in, in itself becomes treacherous uh, and towards the end it's you sort of have to be careful how which paths you choose and so on it be- it becomes a risk reward game yeah exactly yeah that's that's a, that's a good way of putting it um, so what is, what is an interesting itch about like Steamworld Dig is that the game, the areas in the game are randomly generated. Uh, what made you decide for such a decision, and how do you feel like it impacts like replayability of the title? Well, I, I'd say it it affects replayability in a in a good sense because you're not going to run um, directly for the caves and find them exactly. Um, in the spot where you expected to find them, mm-hmm. or where they were last time. Yeah, but it's a mix too. I mean, the the uh, the minerals and so on that you're picking up are randomly placed, and the locations of the caves and and so on that's randomly placed. But all the caves are handmade because they they have to be so that you can actually uh, solve them. Uh, as a regular platform game, how am I going to get from A to B? Uh, if that was all randomized, it, it, it yeah. would uh, sort of steal away from from the uh, com- competition of the game. I mean, you could play a, a very easy game that way, and a friend would have a maybe an impossible game. Yeah, it's a, it, must, it must, always must be a fair trade in that opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like. But another interesting thing, what really like appealed to me was like the presentation of the title. Um, so something I was particularly impressed with was the usage of like sprite art in combination of the 3D effects. Um, what made you like decide for this this specific route? Well, it's for us. It's pretty. Um, it was a simple decision. We have um, we have an extraordinary uh, art director in in our office, and he is also the main producer of of the graphic material mm-hmm. um, <coughs> sorry we he, the graphic style of of games is always his decision uh, yes. finally and uh, it would be interesting if you somehow could could sh- uh, in conjunction with this interview if you could show the differences between um, uh, ant hill and steam will dig because they are they are very, very different types of, of games graphically. Yeah. But you can sort of see a thread there that we're always working with 2D graphics in our games. And it's it's hellish because there is so much work. Uh, the process to to draw it and to animate it and to make it look good, is it takes forever. But it's it's really worth it because we the presentation of image and form games is... 
is key. Uh, we're, we're never going to step away from that. We always want to make lovely looking games. And, and sprite art, in my opinion, also makes it more timeless. Yeah, yes, it does. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it, it, that's a very interesting point. Uh, you could look at a 3D game that, that was made only three or four years ago, and, it, yeah. and you, would, you would definitely feel that it's dated already. So, like, what is your what are, were your biggest challenges like for developing for the 3DS? Because you have worked on the DSi before and on iOS, but what makes it so inherently different to you? I'd say that mm, working on the 3DS, I'm, it sounds like I'm heaping a lot of praise over my team, but I really think that they're they're a spectacular team. It's it. From the beginning with the 3DS, we had no uh, no hurdles that couldn't be overcome, and a, a mm. great understanding really from the beginning. So we have some excellent programmers uh, along with our excellent artists. Yeah. So, so that wasn't that wasn't such a great hurdle in itself. Um, not working with the 3DS. What was a, a very big hurdle for us was finding the fun factor in the game. Getting, <clears throat> we, we prototyped the game and we thought, yeah, this would be this would be fun, and then a month or so later, we're like, we were almost panicking because, god damn, it's not fun. Where, <laughs> where's the fun in this game? And then we just decided to step back a little bit. And it's like, okay, we we need to find the fun factor here. We we cannot go on just uh, hoping that we'll find it. We must find it now. Yeah, and so. That was, I'd say that that was the single most difficult thing in, in with SteamWorld Dig. It was finding the fun factor, and thank God we found it. We we had decided on sort of a gameplay where you always had to think about how you dug your way because you wouldn't be able to jump up, mm-hmm. and that was one of the things adding to the fun factor that we decided to okay set people free in this game, let them dig any way they want, and. Wall jumping will take you up, uh, no matter how vertical you've been. You've been yeah. digging. Yeah, uh, that's that's uh, one thing I like about the game. It, it it can still be punishing at times, but having that wall jump on you makes that you always can progress in some fashion. Yeah, it does never stop. Right, exactly. And uh, if you get stuck, and and uh, I mean, chances chances are that you actually get stuck in one spot. Then we yeah. have this self-destruct option uh, you can actually self-destruct and lose half of your loot maybe you've been playing it so excellently that you <laughs> you haven't uh, gotten into that situation but you can actually end up in a pit or something where you you've run out of steam you you won't be able to take yourself from that position and uh, mm-hmm. then you can actually opt to self-destruct and sort of re-emerge at the surface but with half of your loot half of your money gone actually Mm-hmm. Uh, because it it costs a bit to put you <laughs> once you self destruct it costs the repair shop a little bit to put you together again. But uh, um, yeah, that uh, I'd say that uh, developing for the 3ds it was a challenge with the 3D and putting together the assets afterwards. Uh, that was a challenge. Uh, making the 3D videos and so on, because we had yep. never done anything like that before. But again, I mean, the team read up on it and just magically put it together. Uh, 
It's, I wish I could tell you how it was done, but I can't. <laughs> it, it, it's at least something to be proud of, I guess. Yeah. 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 Um, so what, so beyond like SteamWorld Dig, are there like plans to sup- do more with the SteamWorld series or support Nintendo systems more in the future? Or is it something, or am I speaking way beyond like this <laughs> type of speaking terms? Because I'm sorry if I do that. No, no, don't worry about it. I, I, I'm, I'm happy to speak about that. Yeah. We, we feel that uh, at one point when we were making Steam Will Dig, we were giving away uh, very, very, very much of the story uh, behind Steam Will Dig. Well, basically what I told you before about the background, we sort of want to put that out in pieces in coming games in, in, uh, in, in the Steam World series so that you get a, a better and better and better understanding of what has actually happened. Yeah, I I think there's a there's an interesting um, uh, um, um, likeness to the Terminator series, where in the first movie you don't really understand yes. how does this how does this work? Uh, why did it happen? Or how did it start? And it's not you're not told that in the first movie. It's actually in the second movie where they actually tell most of the background what has really happened yes and and i like that that we have a universe that we can expand on and we will expand on it so that's one thing expanding on the story another one is expanding on different types of games in steam world yeah um i got the question earlier today in another forum if if we are looking towards Minecraft and, and Terraria and so on. And making a sandbox game would be, it would be thrilling. It would be very interesting to make that. Yes. And those, those games, uh, both Minecraft and Terraria, I think are fabulous things. It's, uh, it's beautiful creations. We've, we've, uh, we've uh, SteamWorld Dig is not a sandbox game, but um, we're not alien to the thought of making it, uh, of sort of ex- experimenting with it anyway. But we're also thinking of lots of other types of of gameplay. Is the sandbox one that then most appeals to you, or is, is there like still another idea from thing from, this is where it should go? Good. That's a good question. I think the sandbox um, idea is, obviously, when you look at the success of uh, Minecraft and Terraria, not only the uh, economic success of, the, of that, but also the the fun that they're bringing to all the people that are playing with it. It's that's a tremendous success, and and by our standards here, because we want to make uh, as high quality games as possible. I think that's a that's a lovely achievement that you have people who love your games so much that you will actually get stuck in it. You become a Minecrafter or a Terrarian. <laughs> I think that's beautiful. And so so the sandbox option, that's that's one way to go. I think there's a lot of work to be done if we want to keep the polish of of the of Steamwell Dig, if we want to keep um, the level of, of graphic detail and so on, uh, then then we have a lot of work ahead of us. But yep. Yeah, it's it could be a taxing project as well. Yeah, yeah, it definitely could, and um, 
And but that's one way to go. I think we're we're now looking at actually we're following up in the Steamworld series with a, with a radically different sort of uh, gameplay, um, and it's it's a game that we hopefully can finish up in not too long, so we so we can have a, a tail on on Steamworld Dig, but it tags in pretty well with both the personnel from Steamworld Dig and uh, also the the main idea of the robots. Is that is that coming to Nintendo platforms or is that still up in the air? It's it's well, it's up in the air because we just started on it. Uh, but but we, um, I must say that we're very happy with Nintendo overall, uh, and so we we have no we have no reason to uh, to leave the Nintendo 3DS platform. Um, but if if Steamworld Dig becomes becomes successful uh, in the way we hope it will be, then one other way to go is also to, or another path to that can run in parallel is porting Steamworld Dig to other consoles because it's yeah. a perfect console game. Yeah. So it could go to PlayStation or Xbox or um, even the Wii U. Uh, I, I, I can see it working because the similar experience is there with the with all the information on the bottom screen and then playing it on the TV. Yeah, exactly. That's 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 very observant of you. And then, obviously, also we we want to we want to see if it can uh, uh, get put on PC. I think it'd be very playable there. Mm-hmm. It it's sort of um, then it's it sort of depends on the reception here on Nintendo. 3DS. If it works well, yeah. then we have something to take to uh, that other company that starts with S on on PC, hmm. which is an important player, of course. <laughs> you can never deny the company with starting with the S. No, no, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I think we're coming to the uh, kind of to a close of the interview, but I want last lastly. I, I do this with every single interview I do. Is I want to give you the chance to give like a final pitch for your game in roughly like a minute. Um, so why should people like be excited for Steamworld Dig? And okay. you can start whenever you like. I think people should get Steamworld Dig because it's a very fresh addition to the Nintendo 3DS and also to the eShop. Um, it's a, a fabulously presented game, and the gameplay is very captivating. We call it a mining platform adventure game, and it means in the game you mine and collect resources. You jump around as you would in a platformer and dig your way down. And this is accompanied by a storyline that is compelling and also escalates to a climactic end. So you have a classic game, but in a very fresh setting and with very fresh twists to it. That's very respectable. You did it in 45 seconds. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you can still say, buy the game. <laughs> <laughs> buy the game! <laughs> there you go. Wow. Well, uh, yeah. It's uh, it, it has been very exciting. I've been playing it for a little bit, and uh, it seems very promising so far. I I want to save like, my thoughts for like a review or for like another time. But uh, no, I've been enjoying it so far. So um, thank you so much for letting me play it. Um, you're very welcome. Dave. Yeah. And I think that's it for today. So um, I want to thank you, Brian, for 
for being my guest and coming on this podcast to talking about all the stuff related to SteamWorld and the stuff that's ahead. Thank you. Alright, that will do it for this week's episode of Connectivity. As always, you can send us your listener mail to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. Uh, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. And uh, follow all of us on Twitter. Go to nintendoworldreport.com and look for the Twitter sidebar on the right-hand side of the page, and you'll find all of our usernames there. We'll see you next week.